Welcome to RNZ's Insight Programme. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, the untapped potential of South Auckland. There's a conundrum in Auckland where the most deprived communities with the highest unemployment sit in the fastest growing part of the region where many of the new jobs are based. There's plenty of talk about transforming South Auckland and there's some action, but Insight asks whether enough is being done. It's a summer's evening on Auckland's downtown waterfront on the stroll between the fashionable eateries. A temporary market using converted shipping containers offers Pacific crafts and food to passers-by, including well-heeled cruise ship passengers. It's called Pop-Up South, bringing the craft of South Auckland to a prime downtown location. Ina Michael is the chair of the Mangari Otahu Social Enterprise Collective. He says the mats, clothing and food products are often the work of families. For example, there's Vainia Tinny groups involved in this um, who sew these large kind of sheets that you can see kind of in the, in the background there and generally it's just seen as a social pastime, you know, for, for grandmothers largely to get together, sew and have a social time together. What's come out of it, though, is um, they have broken some ground here in terms of sharing their traditional wares and kind of trying to come into the new modern era uh, in terms of seeing how they can share their tradition, their culture, their roots with, with others. And one of the byproducts of that is the economic income. In the context of Auckland's economy, it's a small step but an important one. The pop-up market is the result of community enterprise with the support of council agencies and will generate income for families, some of whom live in the country's poorest urban communities. But it will take more than some craft stalls to overcome the challenges facing South Auckland. I'm Todd Nile and this insight asks what is and isn't being done to unleash the potential of South Auckland. It's the first senior assembly of the year at Aureri College in Papatoitoi, a decile two school making a big push to get its students on a solid path to employment or study. The principal, Greg Pierce, reminds the senior school that not only is the role at a record 1,600, but academic results are also rising. The year before, we had our best NCA results yet. But despite those positive results, Aureri students are still up against some challenging other statistics. Across South Auckland's three poorest local board areas, Otara Papatoitoi, Mangari Otahuhu and Papakura, the rate of young people neither in education, training nor work is 50% higher than the city's average. In South Auckland, it's almost one in eight under 24-year-olds. The median income in the last census was one-third less than the Auckland average at around $20,000. The proportion of residents with no qualifications was almost double the Auckland average at around 30%. Aureri College is the closest secondary school to the booming Auckland Airport precinct and, like other schools in the south, sits close to the fastest employment growth in the city. With sometimes poor housing and many families in economic stress, Greg Pierce says his students often face big challenges with their schooling. A number of our students live in houses that uh, are overcrowded and, for example, when we give them assessments or homework to do at home, we cannot be guaranteed that that student will have a private, quiet space to do that work or even have access to a computer, for example, 
uh, to enable that work to be completed. The gap between job vacancies and the available potential workforce has spawned a vast array of education and skill training initiatives across the South. At Aureri College, some follow what's called a dual pathway, splitting the week between the school and more technical training at the Monaco Institute of Technology, or MIT. It's a juggling act that can have downsides, and the school needs to ensure academic options, such as university, remain open for students with that ability. And the reality is that if a student is out for one or two days a week, the chances of them, for example, in Year 13 at Aurelia College gaining UE uh, reduces significantly. That's why we've put a lot of time and effort into looking at the students' performance in Year 11 and 12 to see what pathway they are most suitable for. The number of Aureri seniors blending secondary and tertiary studies will this year top 100, more than three times the number of three years ago. The idea of creating pathways through schooling into work has been the focus for MIT's Stuart Middleton for at least 20 years. It's not good enough for segments, layers in the education system to say our work is done. We've taken a student through to the point where they have left us. No, it's never done. The work of where they're going to is an important concern that each layer in the education system should have and it's been very, very poor at having that. MIT's also gone a step further with its own combined school of secondary tertiary studies. It's fees-free and replaces traditional secondary schooling with a mix of core NCEA subjects and a head start on trade qualifications. Stuart Middleton says the combined approach is producing results. These students are not rescue stuff. These students are discovering real strength and real potential and I think the challenge should be to the country to get it right for most students. And that, at this stage, we can't say that that's happening. But the telling figure is not the 300 students that may end up in the scheme, but the 10 more schools across South Auckland that Stuart Middleton thinks there's demand for. Educationalist Bernadine Vesta believes big changes are needed in the area. She was the founding chief executive of the Education Trust Comet, set up by the former Monaco City prior to Auckland's local body amalgamation. She's also the author of Southern Transformation, Searching for Educational Success in South Auckland. Ms Vesta doesn't believe individual schools should be left to find their own way, and with as many as 30 training providers of varying quality, a new entity is needed to make sure the end result is achieved. I think it ought to be a, something that's jointly owned by both central government and local government, but also have some sense there ought to be some ownership from the communities themselves, not necessarily through local government, but, you know, from the key stakeholders that sit in that space, you know, secondary schools, for example, the universities, um, all of the private businesses, you know, who are looking for people coming out of the education system into a labour market which has a particular set set of requirements. It's very difficult for schools individually to kind of identify what those requirements might be. Auckland's Mayor Phil Goff checking in on work at the Southern Initiative, or TSI, at the Council's Monaco Centre. Here, the Council and Government are cooperating in seeking answers to the social problems holding back the South. TSI was one of the Council's top strategic priorities in its 2012 vision for the city, the Auckland Plan. 
It was an initially bold programme to redirect government spending to achieve big shifts in education targets, such as boosting NCEA passes and then employment, something the government was wary of. The Southern Initiative evolved to begin trialling smaller scale ideas at a community level. TSI's general manager is Gail Surgener. I think the original priorities for the Auckland plan for the TSI were um, great priorities but not realistic for a small team to shift the dial on. So we've gone for focusing on things where we can make a difference. One of those differences is getting more Māori and Pacifica people into work. We're looking at having... Um, Dale Williams heads the Māori and Pacific Trades Training Programme, which has found jobs for 265 normally hard-to-place people, especially in the worker-hungry construction sector. She's particularly keen on getting women into work and says there are often all sorts of background challenges to tackle. We focus a lot on placement into employment, but have we looked um, closely enough into um, the social issues that they face themselves, um, particularly women, when they are placed into employment? We've had some feedback already, and mums are in employment and having to think, oh, should I just give up my job and stay home now because um, my teenagers are running wild. My son, he's autistic, and he needs extra support with his NCEA. You know, those are some of the things that our solo parents are struggling to manage on their own. We are now arriving at Monaco. Some major construction projects have signed up to take the programme's candidates, such as the big Monaco bus interchange being built by the train station. Renee Walters calls herself a stay-at-home mum who took on an automotive engineering class in the early evenings. She says getting a job at the bus project and supplementing her partner's income will change her family's life. In my mind, I think it's going to change for the better um, in a positive way uh, for my family and hopefully the rest of them as well, yeah. But for me and my family, it's, it's a big opportunity for me. Solo parent Trina Blackmore spotted the programme targeting adults. She's financed herself into a car and relishes her new role. A great role model for my two younger ones to see that I'm out there doing something, for my family to see, my friends... Um, and hopefully inspire a lot of other, especially women and solo parents, that you actually can get out there and do it. Big private sector firms need reliable staff as Auckland's construction boom continues, and Fletcher Building takes on first-time workers through a range of transition schemes. Fletcher's recruitment manager, Tony Lee, says it often involves helping staff after hours with other things in their lives, but the result is good for the company. But some have come from really challenging backgrounds, and perhaps if you'd seen it on paper, you, you, you'd put it into the too hard basket, but actually it's, it's untapped something within them that they're, they're our future leaders. They've taken on um, certainly any training opportunity, um, they'll be there for the extra shifts. Um, they want to take on leadership. They're interested in, in health and safety. They bring new ideas with technology and they actually question, why are we doing it this way? And, and it's, it's a valid question and it makes us think. The Southern Initiative is working hand-in-glove with a government initiative called the Co-Design Lab. One of its projects is working with families or neighbourhoods to understand what could be getting in the way of opportunities to find work. Co-Design Lab's manager is Jane Strange. 
who says one focus has been looking at the cost of getting a driver's licence and the downstream effects of being caught without one. A lot of people turn a blind eye to breaching their licences, but those with few resources uh, it impacts on them the most in that they don't have ways to pay fines, they can end up in the justice system, they don't have the resources, the car, the money for the lessons and face a lot of barriers that you know somebody making policy may not have experienced themselves. So we really found that a licence, rather than just being an individual good, which you know justifies a user-pays approach, uh, really that it's a social good, um, that there is a case for investing in that licence to help people become productive members of society and to, to become employed. The outcome of that part of the co-design lab's work is now with government departments and ministries to look at. But more important work is looking at improving the quality of life and health during a child's first two years, a period considered crucial to the child's future development and its success in later life. Jane Strange says it was useful to isolate the data about South Auckland from Auckland University's nationwide longitudinal study of people's lives. What we've learnt is under the the top-level data, um, it is actually masking um, the fact that families with young children actually face a lot of toxic stress and and, uh, difficult risk factors. But we also uncovered um, some new... Uh, protective factors, so if people are living with a number of you know, negative factors in their lives, the things that can make a difference for the children's outcomes are connection with peers and connection with the community. So we haven't just uncovered uh, situations which are worrying, we've also, we've also uncovered what can make a difference. So that we've delved into that big data, we've also gone out and understood the lived experience. To understand the realities of day-to-day life, the TSI created a group known as the Early Years Mamas and Papas, new parents facing new lives in communities with limited facilities. To be honest, personally, I feel like sometimes self-organs not really cared about. Kim Tingairi is part of the group which grappled from everything from the way health services are provided to the state of local parks. There was only two parks in the whole of South Auckland that had a barbecue, but if you look at other areas... There's many, many, many barbecues and also um, the parks aren't in the best state. You know, there's lots of broken glass, broken equipment, so they're not utilised as much as, as they could be. But the foundation's there, maybe if there was just a bit more support to clean them up, to get them going. One lady talked about um, the safety aspect of the parks too, um, maybe having, um, for lack of a better word, like a caretaker mm-hmm. person, park guardian. park guardian. Yeah, that was the and and like he or she would actually just hang around, make sure the kids were safe, make sure there wasn't any you know dogs hanging around. These sound like small things, but the TSI's Gail Surgener says a clear message is the importance of creating homes away from home and finding better ways to use council facilities. Some of the feedback we got from families is it's just not practical to gather up um, a few under fives and get yourself into a town centre for a half hour wriggle and rhyme at the library. So what we're looking at now is how do we create an opportunity for families to spend maybe half a day in a town centre and be able to access in a flexible way council resources like the recreation centre, the library and parks. But it's how some health and social services are provided in South Auckland that prompted a strong response from the Mummers Group. 
Kim Tangairi says agencies like Work and Income and Plunkett have traditionally offered a one-size-fits-all service without really developing an understanding or relationship. It seems very tick-boxy that, yes, we've visited you once, yes, we've given you those pamphlets, yes, you've done that, now now you're kind of on your own type thing, and they kind of exit. And sometimes the, the interaction with them is feels quite judgy and probably would stop you from having another interaction with them, um, even even if it's detrimental to your whānau because you just feel so crap about yourself that you wouldn't engage with them again, even though they might actually have something that could really help you. The early childhood care agency Plunkett says it reaches 90% of newborns in South Auckland with its clinical service as it does nationwide. But it acknowledges that many families break away, unaware of the community support it also offers. Claire Rumble is Plunkett's community development manager. She says a three-year project funded by the Tyndall Foundation has successfully trialled new ways of working with South Auckland families, such as community drop-in centres. Three years ago we had about two playgroups and one toy library and through that approach of having the community support coordinators go out and actually talk to families, find out what they need, work with other organisations such as schools and early childhood centres, etc., churches, sports clubs, uh, to re-engage with those families. We've increased those groups by about 500%. But we still feel we're not reaching the really hard to find or the people who really avoid because they don't trust agencies such as MSD or WINS or whoever. Plunkett's applying what it's learned from parents in the South to what it hopes will be a network of centres run by parents with their support. It could just be a drop-in centre that was a safe place to uh, feed your baby, change your baby, talk with some other people... Um, because one thing we've learned about community-led development is what we're, what we're trying to do is introduce people to each other, I suppose, um, so that they, know, they get to know one another, they notice when they're in trouble and they actually um, have formed enough of a friendship to respond and help each other. Part of the equation of unleashing South Auckland's potential is the growth of entrepreneurship, local people succeeding on their own talent. Nothing represents the dizzying possibility more than musical son of the South, Pauli Fuimana, whose hit single How Bizarre became a worldwide hit in 1996 and 97, one of this country's biggest ever sellers. Under the name OMC, Otara Millionaires Club, the locally recorded song hit number one in 15 countries. Fuimana's career went from rags to riches to rags. He was bankrupted and died in 2010. But a new generation says there's more creative success in the wings. I am a huge believer of the potential of um, South Auckland and um, I live in South Auckland. Uh, my business is based in South Auckland. I've lived in this community and there's evidence all around around um, what, what Pacific, uh, our South Auckland community have to offer. Stella Muller owns Bright Sunday, an Otara-based marketing agency. One area that really stands out for me is, um, and the elephant in the room to be quite frank, is the energy and the talent that is um, coming out of the creative sector. She says dance, music, film and acting are among the South's untapped talents. The worldwide success of Disney's film Moana, a sign of the commercial appeal of Pacific culture. What's to say if we didn't create some kind of like little mini Weta 
studios, Pollywood, here in South Auckland, to say how that would energise the community, how that would energise students in the creative sector, and I believe actually um, some kind of um, infrastructure investment like that would actually, there would be lots of spin-offs in terms of what that would create. Another Otara entrepreneur is Nora Swan. So we wanted to do something fresh, something new, something that was us, so that's how Pacific Fusion Fashion Show came about. The personal stylist staged last year's Pacific Fusion Fashion Show with ties to a Sydney event, despite a battle to find backers. I sent out probably close to 300 applications or proposals, and in the end we did get 45 partners, but 44 out of those 45 partners were contra, so that kind of couldn't really help me. Um, financially, but we just pushed and created this big event. Nora Swan is setting the evening show this year in the Otara Town Centre after making last year's a success. I think it was just perseverance, willpower and just never giving up. Yeah, and part of it was, you know, I had to prove this point and I had um, brought on so many people similar to myself, like all the entertainment, like our dancers. I was just giving opportunities to all these people from South Auckland who are looking for that platform regardless if it was being a, a dancer or a model or because um, even the people that catered the food we got a, a school in South Auckland to do all the food and these are students learning um, in hospitality so just wanting the opportunity it did heaps for our community. So in here um, this is our sort of my office as well as my kind of storeroom where we store all our shoes, our current stock. At the moment, all I'm in a converted bedroom at Gustavia Louis' family home. It's the headquarters of her fledgling fashion shoe business, Stavia's, and hers is an extraordinary story. While employed at Work and Income, Gustavia Louis studied small business part-time and decided there was a market for high fashion shoes for women like her with wide feet. I did a lot of travelling. I went to a trade show in Las Vegas, a footwear trade show. I went did a shoemaking course. It was a three-day course in New York where I literally made a pair of shoes from scratch by myself. Uh, I, I also did this entrepreneur school in Sydney, so I did that for an entire year, and basically it was like a school for entrepreneurs of ideas and not too sure where to go or where to from there. She's made trips on her own to China, finding and negotiating with suppliers, deals done on a handshake. With half of her sales to Australia, she's looking to take her online business into new markets and stores. It was very expensive, but at the time my husband and I were both employed full-time, so... I found that there wasn't much funding, or if there was, I wouldn't qualify for it because of the type of idea I had, or because I was too early in um, the business that they didn't see anything, you know, nothing has come about the idea, so we just had no, we had no other choice, we had to fund it ourselves. And that's what links Gustavia Louis and Nora Swan, the struggle to find support, despite being in an area targeted by the Auckland Council for social and economic transformation. Stella Muller already knew Nora Swan, but the South Auckland trio met seriously at the Entrepreneur School in Sydney, and all of them paid for it out of their own pockets. Stella Muller says there should be support for a South Auckland entrepreneurship community. I guess as I'm talking about this, I mean, 
the, the thing that stands out for me is that someone cares to want to in, even talk about it or pursue it further or, inv- or invest in, 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 and figure out what, what is happening there. Because I don't certainly feel the care factor. I, I feel like I walk my entrepreneurship path very lonely. And this is why I gravitate to people like um, uh, those in my community, like Gustavia and Nora, because they're walking the same lonely paths as we are and um, we get comfort in sharing our wins together and sharing our battles together. And boy, have there been some. Gustavia Louis hadn't heard of Auckland Council's Economic Development Agency ATED when I asked her. Nora Swan got told last year by ATED to come back once she'd proved herself with her first show. And so when I went back to ATED, the guy I was talking to had left. So then I kind of got passed around to different departments and then it came back to, oh look, you know, we need to see you know, what are we going to get out of this? And I thought, wow, you know, I'm trying to change people's mindsets of South Auckland. You know, I'm sure you've got some funding there that's set for South Auckland in particular as well as South Auckland. But, yeah, I mean, to this day, I'm still kind of talking to them. But, yeah, the delays just get longer and longer and my show is getting, you know, closer and closer. ATEED is active in supporting the growth of a wide range of businesses. But the creative sector is not one of its chosen priorities. That rankles with Stella Muller. They're only scratching at the surface of what um, South Auckland could be and looking at South Auckland from a, a particular lens. I think that if you spoke to more people like myself, um, that you'd find that there's a real energy for not only um, what, what's happening in the creative sector, but for entrepreneurship in general. So they may have a point, um, I think, with that view. Patrick McVeigh is a general manager at ATED. Firstly, creative industries is a really wide sector. So it doesn't fit any standard definition. Um, there's different ways of, of looking at the creative industries. And it, you know, at one level, it includes everything from your more technology, ICT, architecture, design, planning activities, right down to some of the arts, culture, um, and a whole range of things in between the two. But AT says a change is coming. We have been asked through our statement of intent to focus more on local economic development and more on um, ensuring that support's available in, in Auckland less prosperous areas. There's no longer a question of whether things will improve for South Auckland. The breadth and depth of new ideas being trialled suggests many of the key issues are being worked on. Early childhood years, education that connects to work and breaking down barriers to employment. Helping small and creative business ideas flourish, as we've heard, is still a work in progress. The big questions are when and how large-scale change will occur. It's now time for all of us to say, right, what are the scores we need to get on the board so that people can feel like we're actually making a difference? Efeso Collins grew up in Otara and is now an Auckland councillor for the Monaco Ward. He says while the council needs to tune in better to local needs, the South itself may need to take a bigger role. We need a kind of a Pacific symposium where we get our leaders together where we get all the crazy people who just want to change the world, bring them together, let them share their ideas and go mental over it because it's there where they're going to feel like they're supported, they're encouraged, their ideas have a place, they belong. And then we say, right, let's take the best of these ideas and let's throw ourselves at them because we know that it results best for our people when we're moving together. The ideas emerging from the Southern Initiative and the government's co-design lab will need scale. The case for investment in driver licence training is now with the government. The Auckland Council will eventually consider ideas about how to better tailor local facilities to local needs.
At Aoriri College, where these senior students will face life after school, the principal, Greg Pearce, is optimistic for them. I'm very excited about the future. Uh, I think more and more that students are realising that there are specific pathways for them in their own backyard within the South Auckland uh, context. And those areas do, in reality, range from unskilled labour, of which there are, as we know, there are ever-decreasing numbers of those opportunities available to students, right up until the most highly skilled project management level, connected with the infrastructure developments that are occurring around here at, at present. I'm Todd Nile, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to get in touch or share your thoughts on this programme, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at insightrnz. Todd Nile's programme was produced by me, Philippa Tolley. If you'd like to podcast other Insight programmes, head to iTunes, where you can download, subscribe, rate and review us, or visit the Insight webpage at radionz.co.nz forward slash insight. Thanks for listening.